0: This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvisei's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvisei's teachings, or sign up for a newsletter, please visit her website at Goddard.org. Thanks for listening. We're here at the end of a rather mad day. Um, but I was thinking, you know, this is, this is par for the course in so many parts of the world. Um, and it's, to some extent, our hubris that we think, well, not me, not us, not here. Um, and yet, here it is. And, you know, I had the talk all planned out. And then all of this happened. And I thought, oh, my God, I have to rewrite the whole thing. Um, I didn't. Hopefully what I'm speaking of I think it's still relevant um, at heart because ultimately what we're dealing with is reality Last week I participated in um, one of the Zen Mountain Monastery retreats one continuous thread and some of you know there um, online meditation retreats a shin that the monastery has been doing since the pandemic started and when you sign up for one of these um you're i mean you're essentially participating as you're able and willing and so you can do this the schedule exactly like the monastery is um, doing or you can tailor it to accommodate your life you know your work relationships need for more sleep. And so you can really do an intensive retreat at your own rhythm, which is really quite wonderful. And so I was doing this myself. And at the beginning of the retreat, one afternoon, I uh, took a nap and I fell into a deep sleep. And I dreamt that I was talking to you. I'm pretty much like this. I think I was very, very excited <laughs> about this talk. And um, and I very clearly heard myself say uh, these words. I no longer want to put my energy into making things happen. Instead, I want to open into what is already happening. And then I woke up. And I thought, that's it. That is the beginning of your talk, at the beginning of this new year. I no longer want to put my energy into making things happen. Instead, I want to open into what's already happening. And by this, I don't mean you know, that I just want to passively wait, be an observer of life, certainly of my life. You know, as my my first teacher, Daira Roshi, used to say, Zen is not a spectator sport. And I've always thought that you get out of Zen, out of practice, exactly what you put in, because it's your life. You get out of your life exactly what you put into it. And it doesn't, of course, mean you get whatever you want, as we've clearly seen this past year, especially, but really since the beginning of time. It doesn't mean sitting back and waiting for things to happen, but I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm framing this for myself in terms of working to trust, to open into, as I said, what's already happening, what is, to open into reality. Right When in Buddhism, we, we call things as they are. And so you're really working with things, not against them, not despite them, not on top of them. And this phrase, things as they are, is, is actually in the sutras. And I've always really liked it because it, it reminds me that, you know, suffering really lies in the gap between desire and reality so does practice if we could really live in within with reality truly live here we wouldn't need to practice it would be it would be done but the catch is of course we want things I want things, you want things, and what I want and what you want doesn't always match. We saw that in full display today. And so what about when things as they are is not good for me? What about when the way things are excludes you? And I was thinking, you know, what? would today have been like if it had been a Black Lives Matter protest? You know, if the people going in to the the Capitol, storming the Capitol had been indigenous people and people of color, it would have been a very different scene. And we know that, we know that. And so how do we reconcile the way things are? with my and your happiness. How do we reconcile? I'm accepting the things I cannot change with Angela Davis's famous, I'm accepting, I'm I'm changing the things I cannot accept. So what does it really mean to open into reality? Not as an idea, but as the truth of life, the truth of my life, your life our lives together and one of my favorite zen saying is the three worlds are nothing but mind the three worlds uh, some of us spoke about this in in a previous wednesday night the three worlds are the form the world of form of formlessness and desire and so the the first realm is the the realm of the senses and, and of sensual desire, the world of things, of matter, of form. <clears throat> and uh, sorry, so the, the second the second world is a world of form, of matter, and then there's the immaterial world in which divas are said to have existence but just a mental existence, and that there's four spheres in which they live, which are infinite space, infinite consciousness, absolute nothingness, and neither perception nor non-perception. But really, brought together, this is essentially all of existence, what we can see and what we cannot see, and yet still experience at some level that we may not be aware of. And so the sayings suggest that moment to moment we're creating reality with our minds, which if you think about it, I mean, is quite empowering. It's saying, I'm the master of my life, I create my life, which is true, but a more accurate way of saying it is actually that we're co-creating the three worlds. So we, together, you know, with one another, together with the world, together with all of these beings dwelling in infinite space and consciousness, with the environment, with circumstances, with cause and effect, are creating reality moment to moment. And so when something like today happens, we don't have to be surprised. We don't have to be surprised that a pandemic has been decimating us you know, for, for almost a year, when we really are living in reality and not in what we think should be, in, in, in a dream of what should be. So moment to moment, we're creating the world that we live in the world in which we fight and we love, in which we live and we die. So we're all responsible, we're all taking part in this creation. I told the story before how um, my teacher now, Shugun Roshi, during a um, Dharma encounter, with the community, a, a young man went up and said something like, you know, this is all a dream. So, so what's the, why, why practice anyway? And my teacher said, it is all a dream. So we should dream the best dream that we can. And of course the question is how, how do we do that? how do we co-create a reality that includes all of us values all of us honors all of us one of you asked me recently if karma means that everything happens you know p- precisely as it should meaning it fits you know every cause and effect fit, then how can it be that things are not preordained, predetermined? And I think this is really one of those questions that if you took it to the Buddha, he would just sit silently, maybe smile benignly at you, and he would just say nothing. And maybe you might ask again, and a third time, and he would sit there and not say anything. because. It is one of those questions that will not lead to the end of suffering. So it's not the right question to ask, right as in skillful. And, you know, if I could tell you right now with absolute certainty, yes, everything that is going to happen in your life was meant to happen, and you can't change it, no matter what you do, would that help you? I said with equal certainty, everything is random. Things happen, but nobody really knows why. There's no real pattern behind the dream. Would that help you? Fortunately, I can't do either. I won't do either. But what I will say is that, well, we know that what I do and what you do matters, and that every cause has an effect, and that it does match. We can't always see that immediately. We can't always see it clearly. But cause and effect are um, correspond to one another. And not only that, every action I take is tied to every action you take. And so now knowing that, how do we move forward? And I think it is helpful to remember, you know, that that our minds have evolved to to be dualistic. You know, we, we want to know is this right or is this wrong? Is it this or that? So that I'll know how to act. Just tell me what is right so that I'll know how to act. We don't really like uncertainty. We look, we do look for patterns, we crave definition, which is natural we need to make sense of our world but then why is it that we can't we don't seem to always learn from a rhyming history you know what are we what are we missing when we draw clear lines and i was reading a a, a teacher a buddhist teacher who is saying that the, the reason behind that dualistic uh, framework is really survival and that the cause is language written and spoken right so we have evolved to differentiate in order to survive and i've said this myself many times before you know in order for me to live my life i need to know where i end and you begin I need to know the difference between a wall and a door. Life and death, to some extent, good and bad. The catch is that a lot gets lost between dichotomies. Because most of life can't be explained in terms of this or that. Male or female, black or white, young or old, liberal or conservative, wherever you see a name, you know for sure, trouble will follow sooner or later. Because reality doesn't work like this, or it doesn't just work like this. And because it doesn't just work like this, our divided world doesn't work. It doesn't serve and it won't last. It can't last. And just like, you know, the ocean wouldn't last a second. If the waves suddenly went up in arms and said, "No, I don't want to be near you," that wave, you know, we're not the same class. Just stay away. And that one, you know, there's something fishy about that wave. She kind of she leans to the left, to the right. I bet you. It's like a body attacking its, itself, despite the fact that it it needs every single cell to survive. You know, and the thing is that the names are not the problem. We need the names, is what we do with them. And so I've told this story before, but it's been it's been a few years now. And it begins with an old, old story, one that we're all familiar with. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And many, many, many years later, in the inimitable writer, Ursula K. Le Guin's, in her dream, Eve decides to undo what the Lord did. She decides to unname all the animals, ending with herself. And so with a wisdom that I feel is innate, Eve realizes that in order for things to, to more accurately reflect what they really are, they need to be unbound. She sees that names have to be returned to the silence. And so she starts with the whales and the dolphins, the seals and the sea otters. And they all shed their names easily. They just let them slip away into the sea. And then she unnames the yaks. And at first they put up a fight. Yak, it just sounds right to them. They've been called that for as long as they can remember. But the females convince the bulls that, from a yak's perspective, the name is really redundant. They don't really use it themselves, and so eventually, eventually, with a bit of coaxing, they do away with it. And then horses and cows, mules and goats, they also they all give up their names happily. Same is true of chickens and geese and turkeys and guinea hens. But when she gets to pets, the problems start. The cats, of course, deny ever having had a name other than their self-given ones. And those nobody knows but them. Dogs and parrots, however, insist on being still called their their given names. So they want to be called Bailey or Biscuit, Frankie, Goose, and so Eve has to patiently explain that they can keep those names if they want. They're just not going to be called dog anymore, or rabbit, or rat. So eventually they too agree to give up their names. Insects and fish, no visitation. They just give up their names like that. And until finally, there's no one. There's no one left to unname. And Eve realizes the full import of what she's done. She can no longer uh, distinguish where one animal begins and another one ends. She can no longer distinguish really between feathers and fur, wings, or claws. And then she does the same thing for herself. And she goes to Adam, and he's just busy puttering with something he doesn't even look up and she says you know you and your father gave me this but although it's been very useful it just doesn't seem to fit anymore so I'm just I'm giving it back and Adam's not paying very much attention so he's like oh okay just put it over there Uh, when's dinner by the way and Eve is a little disappointed truth be told she was expecting you know a little bit more of a fight but she just Thinks okay, she shrugs, and she says, well, I'm not sure, but I'm going, dear, so you take care, and I hope the key to the garden turns up, and she walks away, with all the animals around her, unnamed and unbound, unknown and unbroken, moving and being exactly as they were always meant to be one great unified body, the body of reality. And however, my my retelling doesn't really do justice to Le Guin's story, which is called She Unnames Them. So you you should look it up, you should read it yourselves. But then, you know, just going back, we can force something into being or we can allow it's becoming why do you think we sit so much is that you, you think of all the, the talk that there is you know, of of meditation and mindfulness specifically you know, that it's good for your heart and your nerves and your digestion and your sex life. I mean, really, pretty much everything you apply it to. But what they don't really tell you is that meditation really, Zazen, is the gate to reality.
1: It is the way,
0: the how, we open into reality as it is. It is the place where we can unname the named and see to its very essence. And of course, this isn't just Buddhism. Every mystical tradition knows that the world we see and hear and touch, the world with all its nameable creatures, is just one side of that whole. But there's more. We need to be able to stop in order to see, in order to touch, in order to be the realm in which you and I have no beginning or end, in which my wants do not impede yours, because they're not different. And that is the realm in which we know, as surely as we know our name, though not in it, because in it we don't know, really know anything after. We know that we need the whole body to survive, to thrive. We can't leave any part out. And one of the names that the sutras have for this realm is the unbinding, i have always loved that. And that's the other side of the whole. And then when we return from the unbinding, then we can restick all the labels onto things and unfold all the maps. Because now we know the map is not the landscape. We know the name is just a name. Useful, necessary, I will no longer accept what needs to change. And it is this, and this, and this, and this. Indispensable when we need to realize our interbeing. And so that to me is what opening into reality means, first and foremost, opening into the truth of that interbeing. And then from this place, we can let things unfold. And we can look for those places where we're putting up resistance, where we've created a line, a barricade around our wave body and said, you can't come in, even though you're already in and you always were. And I don't know about you, but I always forget this. I forget this over and over again. And so we return. A return to stillness and silence, to remember. That's what sati, mindfulness, really means. To remember, to bring something to mind. And so next time you sit on your cushion, next time you're on a Zoom call, you're watching all the little squares, remember, we're not just connected, you and I. We enter our. For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessasvisegoddard.org.